Uh, hey everyone, welcome back to the Spring Into Action Vocational Application Podcast. Um, my name is Manny Muganis. I'm a third year economics student here at Gordon College where the initiative is taking place. With me, I have Dr. Kristen Cooper, who is a professor of economics here and someone who I've really enjoyed learning from the past couple of years. Welcome, Dr. Kristen Cooper. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking yeah, no, talking with you. <laughs> Um, so probably a great way to start out here is with you telling us a little about your background and what got you interested in economics um, in the first place and how you ended up a professor at Gordon College. Sure, thanks. Uh, so I am an alumna of Gordon. I studied economics and Spanish and got my PhD at Cornell and I've been teaching at Gordon for as my eighth year. In some ways, this so this, so that's the very the very short version of it. Um, what drew me to economics, I think, is the combination of analytical thinking, the analytical approach, and some of the formal approach with the focus on people. So, uh, even the questions that we're going to talk about today related to sustainability and people's interaction with the environment and um, and with each other, those are the questions that really drew me to economics. I wrote a paper my junior year, I think, at Gordon in intermediate microeconomics class with Dr. John Mason. We had to write papers, and my paper was on, it was called SUVs, the true cost to society. So I, in some ways, I look back and I just think, wow, I've, I'm the same person I was, you know, a long time yeah. ago. But um, so, so the, I think my interest in, in economics certainly um, yeah, it's the it's the people and the and the, the social questions combined with the the math and and the data and the, the observation about the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. That's super fun. So yeah, the the question, the kind of broad question, we're asking everyone who's coming out of this podcast is how they see their discipline um, contributing to a sustainable future. And I'm, I'm specifically curious for economics, uh, what what you see as as kind of the goal of economics and how this is contributing to that sustainable future. Sure. So, so the definition of economics, different different definitions get used, but I think people agree it has something to do with allocating resources, the way resources get allocated, and by that I mean um, who, who gets what. So, so whether that's um, in the in the market or through government policies or other mechanisms, um, you know, how, how resources are produced and distributed. And there's always a question of trade-offs, this idea of scarcity that, that choices have to be made. We can't have everything. It was a fundamental of the economic approach. And when it comes to the contribution to sustainability, I, I, I see, I see so much. Um, I think from, from a, ideological standpoint, the idea that economists have of classifying the state of the world, trying to describe the world analytically, but then also having some what we might call normative tools, this idea of efficiency, um, normative criteria, efficiency, um, and the idea of, of equity, we could try to formalize that. So the idea of measuring the world and then trying to evaluate it and understanding why there could be a gap between what actually happens and what we think might be ideal. 
So economists focus on market failure, right? Looking at market outcomes and then evaluating whether market outcomes are efficient and how often they are or are not efficient. That's, that's certainly a question to be debated, but just having this, this approach that allows us to, um, to study, study, both try to understand and evaluate as separate steps, I think is um, useful. Some of the sustainability questions uh, that concern us, I think, can be addressed. They, to, to address them requires having a theory of why they came about in the first place. So, I mean, why are fisheries being overused or why is climate change happening? It's clearly, we see a gap between what we think would be good or desirable and what's happening, but without a way of talking about those two things as being conceptually distinct, what's happening and what we want to happen. And um, some, yes, some, some of that framework in place, I, I, think, uh, I think is what economics can add, at least one of many things. And to say, not, to say nothing of statistics, although um, other, other disciplines use statistical tools, but, but economists really focus on causality and trying to, to disentangle um, just correlation from actual causal channels. And that's really important for, um, for thinking about policies that are going to try to change things. We want to have some idea of, of what the kind of causal effect of, of things will be. Um, so just a few, a few things I've, I've thought about. I think there's, there's yeah. a lot of, of, um, of things economics could contribute. Right. And a lot of that does get into kind of the human side that you were talking about. Um, about figuring out why why these things are happening and how we can allocate our reason. Even in, I, I was listening to the last podcast with Dr. Boris and she was talking about allocating resources even in biology. And so it mm -hmm. all, does all kind of tie back. Um, it's all it's all really interesting. Uh, so we'll, let's get right into it with kind of some of the, some of the critiques I hear uh, with economics and sustainability. And the one I've heard a lot is specifically in the last year and it's something I've as an economics major has been have been thinking a lot about um and and you have you have this idea that one critique at least is that economics is fundamentally focused on on growth like this this idea of gdp gnp growth kind of indefinitely as opposed to sustainability and and, and just and well-being um so as someone who's who studied well-being and economics to a pretty pretty significant extent. I'm wondering if, if you think that this is a kind of a legitimate critique or is it something that econ economists need to maybe focus on changing or amending in some way and how you see this as an issue or, or maybe not an issue? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. And there are calls out there for degrowth, especially in Europe, there's a, a, a movement calling for degrowth saying, not even that we shouldn't strive for growth, but that somehow we should contract, you know, do less. And I think the idea that we're materially constrained is real. And so you look around and you think we can't just keep, like there's this physical constraint, we can't keep growing. I mean, in, in a physical, right. this can't just keep getting bigger. Right. Um, for economists, growth is not defined by physical size of things, mm -hmm. defined actually really subjectively by, by the value of things. And economists use prices to try to, try to, to, try to approximate value. Um, we don't 
uh, we talk, we don't always emphasize that the subjective nature of that, but it is, it's, it's subjective. It's about what people are willing to pay for things in the market that becomes part of the price. And when we think about GDP as a measure of well-being, well, it's the value of what's getting consumed, prices times quantity. And that's what allows us to, to compare across goods, to compare across countries. So this, this aggregation we can do to getting to dollar amounts by using prices, by using this measure of value is really, it's, fund, it's fundamental. Um, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, the question of whether growth is going to come from literally bigger things, more resource-using things, or more valuable things. Um, I mean, I mean, I, what's going to what would make there be growth is when there's more value, not when there's physically more stuff. Right. And what growth looks like. Um, the tried and true economists would say, well, it depends on what people want. And if what people want is bigger houses and bigger cars and, uh, you know, what we think of as like stuff, like too much growth or you know, what people think there's too much of maybe, um, the, I mean, the market, it would be, would be channeled towards giving people that. So I think that critique, the critique that there's something wrong with growth or that growth is bad um, for my take on it is that it often comes down to this idea that what people want somehow isn't right or that when people yeah direct direct their desires at least in the market context uh, that somehow you end up with the wrong set of things but growth fundamentally is i think about getting more getting more value and and getting better things so the the quality dimension um is there and economists measures of gdp take into account quality now as best as they can so it's just having another digital camera or another phone, it's having better cameras and better phones and um, a richer a richer set of market goods. And, and it is a market concept. Oh, I could say so much. I think it's okay. I think GDP, it's a good, it, it's a good thing for what it is, but it's not the only thing we need to yeah. look at. So I'll, I'll just yeah. say that. <laughs> Do you feel that there, there is any sort of overemphasis on the material? And I guess I'm kind of when you're, when you're talking about at growth, Growth doesn't necessarily mean just just stuff. It could be the quality. Mm -hmm. Does does well being does well being go, can well being go into that at all? Like just kind of as something that we're calculating with growth in an, in an ideal world, if we could just calculate well being, is that something that we we would be doing with GDP or instead of GDP? Would we using measuring well being instead of GDP? So, uh, there's. There's a lot of directions people are going on this. Um, and I guess I would, I think I want to punt on this. I, so I've, 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 I'm, I'm working on a co-authored research project with, um, with some other economists who have been, we've been working together for several years now and they've been working on it for even longer. Um, but the goal is to try to come up with a, a personal well-being. So I'm not punting. I'm I'm setting up the punt. But but here's the setup. Um, we uh, so we're working on a, a survey-based measure of personal well-being, which is consistent with what, a, what economists call utility, a measure of preference satisfaction. And um, in in some ways, GDP is conceptually such a measure. If if you're thinking about with just market goods, but our measure is based on. Um, not market goods, but on aspects of well-being. So things like how happy you feel, you're not feeling anxious, your family feeling happy, um, your financial security. We've got a long list of aspects of well-being that we ask people about. 
and we're um, de developing a survey where people, uh, we, we, we learn about how important these are to people, we try to aggregate them to an overall measure, and the goal is to ultimately have something that's even interpersonally comparable, um, not without assumptions, but in a very, uh, when I say scientific, I mean uh, clearly stated assumptions, falsifiable, um, and em empirically oriented kind of kind of measure. So that's a that's a direction that I'm working in, um, and you could find papers on that on my on the Gordon website and on the websites of, of uh, my co-authors Dan Freeman, Ori Hafitz, and Miles Kimball. Um, and and the and the punt is there's not an easy answer, and I and I and I think. GDP has valuable information. We don't want to not include GDP if we're looking at a measure of kind of how well society is doing. Um, if GDP is for some reason falling, I mean that that's that's something not going right. Like that, that's that's people not having jobs or or like technology being forgotten or resources being destroyed. I mean, like you would want to be, you, I think you'd want to be measuring that even if you don't think it's the most important thing. Hmm. Um, so people have called for a dashboard approach, um, which I think is is a, is a good idea too. Um, how sad, I don't know how satisfying that is. It's no, 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 that's really helpful. Big, it's a question. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, and then, so, and that's kind of, this kind of also, I, I imagine where economics really comes in is when we have this, kind of general idea of GDP growth as something we we potentially want. Um, and, and now but we do we do realize like you said this is a material world. This is this is a world of finite resources where we are especially now realizing that all these things that we maybe haven't been taking into account, like the climate of the atmosphere, how we're how we're treating the land, that that does seem to run kind of maybe against this idea of limitless GDP growth. And I, and I imagine that's kind of where I could, where environmental economics especially comes in um, to figure out kind of this balance and these causalities between these two. Uh, so in, in along the same vein of, kind of what we were just talking about of, of putting a value a value on these things, how, how do we put a value on these things? How do we put a, mm -hmm. the climate or when, when you're trying to measure these things how, how do you go about putting putting value on these on them? That's a great that's a great question. Um, and for what what economics contributes to sustainability or how it how it factors in um, the idea that there are non market goods goods that are fundamentally important to people and, and valuable but are not traded in markets. Um, you know, fish, fish that people get for free or air that people use for free. Um, that's, that is, I think, another um, concept, yeah, conceptual contribution. And there are, there are statistical and um, quantitative contributions from economics there too, because our answer to your question of like, how would you value it? How would you measure it? Would be that it comes down to people's preferences and you know the value is what people are willing to pay and sometimes that helps us learn about environmental values so there's um uh looking at the value of backyard birds based on how much people are willing to spend on bird feed and bird feeders so i mean this this isn't talking about what people value doesn't mean we're not going to value nature i mean it points to um understanding at a more deep level 
all of the ways that we value nature and, and we reveal that or we show that by what we do and we people travel to see beautiful places and people um, people are willing to give things up to preserve um, endangered species or whatever it is. So it's a very, it's a very anthropocentric or human-centric view of value. Um, ultimately, I don't, I don't know. I reserve the right to change my opinion, but I think that's okay because humans are the ones who are gonna have to make these choices. And, uh, and I think it's, it's the only way to proceed like from a very practical standpoint. Right. Um, but the one piece I'll add and where I think we have to be really humble with this approach is that people don't have complete and you know, perfect information. So just because people aren't taking some environmentally, we say sustainable action, it doesn't mean that they <laughs> don't want it. It might be that they don't understand or don't know Right, like what the benefits of it would be. Maybe the costs are really obvious, but the benefits are unknown, or they're not even aware that they're taking this action. It's totally uh, subconscious, or in sense of you know that it's baked into their everyday life and their purchases, and and they, you know, so so I think look, referring to preferences and what people value is, I think it it has a, a good <laughs> a good potential, but. But the problem is that people, it's not like people directly have preferences over ecological systems. Like we don't know all of the ways that we depend on, on the earth. So, yeah. Yeah. And I <laughs> this, this does, this leads me to a question I kind of wanted to ask a little later, but I, I definitely kind of, it seems like this is kind of a natural way to ask is how, how other disciplines like biology or political science or theology, how how do those, and also the spirit of kind of this podcast, how, how do those influence how, how you are, are looking at environmental mm -hmm. economics um, or your mm -hmm. area of discipline? Mm -hmm. Sure, I, it's, such a, it's, a, it's a great question. And a lot of um, sustainability work, I think has a very interdisciplinary feel to it. Um, It'll be interesting to see over my lifetime and your lifetime, you know, if there's a if there's a trend away from disciplinary specialization and more towards hubs or you know areas of focus. So people who think about agriculture, people who think about climate or whatever it is. Um, as far as what economics can learn or what how these others contribute, um, I don't think I could overstate how much the others contribute. It's like none of them are sufficient on their own. But um, on the for the political science um, side, I mean, just to illustrate with with um, with, with with climate change, I mean, a, an, econ an economist model of why a carbon tax could be good <laughs> might neglect real world political considerations in a way that makes that you know that that theoretical claim that this would be a good policy. It might it might almost be useless without more. Of, of the political context. So thinking about what's actually feasible and I, I don't, um, yeah, I'm sure political science is a lot more than this, but certainly um, if for, for policy directions, you, the, you can't ignore the, the actual mechanisms by which things happen and all the incentives that have to be aligned um, and all the institutional rules that have to be respected. So so that there's, there's so much there. Um, that's that's that economists would need 
need to, to, to draw on from political science. And the, um, with this, with natural science, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I, I would like, like to continue learning more about, about that because I think ecologists have language that and concepts that we should understand better as economists or be able to use better in thinking about the economy as a system and thinking about kind of emergent or unintentional properties of a system, things that just arise um, in, in a system. And um, so I would like I would like to learn more about that. I think so from a from a intellectual or conceptual standpoint, I think there's probably a lot more we could learn from ecology. And then of course, from a more technocratic perspective, ecologists, biologists, I mean, they're the ones who understand how things actually work. So like, why people care um, about pollution, and, you know, it's because of the actual damages that it causes. Um, so so those, those causal pathways are not something that economics, economists are gonna, are gonna know. Um, so there's, yeah, and then, and then you asked about theology. Um, so in Christian teaching on the economy, which is a class that I teach, which, which you took in the fall, um, I think we see theologians having a, a lot of insight about that, um, that gap between what we aspire to and what actually happens and thinking perhaps more eloquently or more, um, you know, say beautifully about kind of what, what life could be or should be like the moral imagination um, certainly in the humanities is really important. So um, everything, everything has a role, everything. Yeah, I, am, I, I don't wanna only be with economists. I wouldn't be at Gordon if I wanted to only be with economists. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned carbon tax um, uh, just, a, just a second ago. And people who've had classes with you might, might know that you are a big advocate of this policy carbon taxing. And I've actually never really heard you talk about it. I've just heard you kind of mention <laughs> in passing. So I'm really curious if you could tell, um, talked about what, what carbon taxing is and why, why you think it might be such an effective policy. Sure. Thanks, Manny. Um, so, so, so a carbon tax would be like a price on carbon. So per ton, so dollars per, per ton, something like that. And who pays the tax would be a key question, um, because there's a because because um, there's not a lot of complexity. I think in the in the early stages of the supply chain uh, for for fossil fuels, the idea is things would be taxed uh, that that carbon would be taxed at the at the entry point to the supply chain as, as fossil fuels, which are going to be when they're combusted. That's what generates the carbon. So so tax them at the at that point. There's a, uh, there's a statement from a, a huge group of economists that came out two years ago, the economist statement on carbon tax and dividends. And it was signed by economists from all manner of political persuasions. And it's, I'll say it's the, it's the only political thing I've, I've signed like that myself. Uh -huh. um, it felt, it, I mean, I agreed with it and it, and it, of having, having so many, so many people on board, I mean, it, it it, it felt it felt good. Um, and the idea of the carbon tax and dividend is to take the money that's rate that would be raised from the carbon tax and distribute it 
uh, e equally to, to adults in the US. So the dividend piece is what gets done with the money. And the statement says uh, that, that that's a good way to avoid debates about the size of government. So you can imagine all this revenue is getting collected, right? People would want to use that revenue for causes that they care about, whether it's you know more, more social programs or lower taxes on other things or whatever it is. Um, and so they, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good, um, yeah, it's a good approach to, to think about, to, to do, to do, um, to do it as a dividend. So there's more, there's more we could say about the, the interesting properties of that uh, from a, from a like income inequality standpoint. But I, I think um, in that direction, it's generally good. And if we want, if, if we assume that people would like on, like in general, for there to be less um, inequality, because um, people who consume more would end up paying more in the tax in terms of higher prices for goods, but then they would get, you know, a little bit less, they would get the same proportion back in the, in the dividend. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, across the carbon tax, I think the, the challenge and, you know, why it's not happening. Um, well, let me say why it's important. Sorry. So why it's important is, um, is the, we were talking about market goods and non-market goods and the environment, the climate is a non-market good. And it turns out that our use of that good is not sustainable in a sense. It's not, it's, it's, um, it's changing the climate in ways that, that are very, gonna be very, very costly and are, are already very costly. And there needs to be less carbon emissions. So, I mean, what's, what's the right way to achieve that? We could have a lot of different policies, but fundamentally making the thing that's causing the problem a little bit more costly is going to lead to less of it. And that's going to going to lead to more innovation, I think, and solutions to do the same things, but differently so that they're less energy intensive or, um, you know, so, so it, it aligns everyone's incentives, I think, in, in the right direction, which is finding substitutes, um, which is not, yeah, which is not to say there aren't any, any other concerns. It's not quite that simple, but from the standpoint of what, what we should do, economists think that it's basically that simple. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. How, why, why, I guess, is this, is this policy better, especially if, if carbon is, is as big of a problem as, as some people might, might advocate for, why, why would this policy maybe be better to ban, like just a carbon ban or something to that extent? And kind of how is that indicative of how econo economists approach these problems as a whole? Oh, that's a good question. So, so as opposed to banning it or as opposed right. to more specific, like let's do this, let's do that instead of having this broad policy. That's a great question. So, um, so a tax, it might seem like it's very restrictive. People have this negative reaction to a tax, but it's actually very flexible because if people, if people reduce their consumption of those goods, they can avoid the tax. And so one of the, one of the features of, um, I don't know, environmental issues that um, I, I guess I, I, I think like an economist about is that it's, it's not that, it's not that people are emitting carbon or doing these things because they're they're bad or they're it's it's just it's just that they're they're not internalizing the cost and so uh the cost meaning they're not they're not really they're not understanding they don't have knowledge of what the cost of what they're doing would be 
Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, sorry, I don't know what else I can say on that. That would. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would. Uh, That's super interesting. That would help. Um, oh, oh, but taxes. Sorry, taxes versus bans. So it's not that it's not that we don't want people to to like emit carbon at all. It's just there's too much of it. So with tax, the other thing about tax is that it could be adjusted. So if we're if if goals are being met, then the tax could be lowered. If goals aren't being met, then the tax could be raised. Now, for people who are afraid of, I don't know, big government or different incentives, political incentives to adjust that tax, maybe that sounds scary. But um, but from a from a technical standpoint or a theoretical standpoint, that's a great feature of it. Um, and uh, and it's yeah, it has a, it has those has those advantages. So it it's it's getting at the root of the problem. I think the issue with other ways of approaching it are that it's actually even easier for special interest groups and um, just the political process, um, a democratic process, good one, but it has um, uh, aspects to it that I think when you break it down into little pieces, um, every, in, every policy is not gonna be as efficient as you, as you hope it might be. Um, and I would hope that, yeah, that the, that, that a, a simple policy has um, benefits to it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's all very, really very interesting. Um, it's kind of as we're, we're running out of time here, uh, I guess I, for my kind of last question, I'm wondering what, what are you most excited for in, in the field of economics as it pertains to sustainability, or is there anything specific that you feel like is innovative that's really that's really happening right now that you're excited about? Yes. So, um, so behavioral economics is not new at this point. It's 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 decades old. It's it's be, um, becoming it's well de well developed, and a lot of those ideas have made their way into the popular world, right? Um, Books like Nudge and um, economists uh, or psychologists, rather, like Daniel Kahneman, um, and thinking fast and slow. So, but so so it's not new. But I would say it's for the sustainability perspective. I think it's it's the approach to to take in terms of our theory. And um, a paper just actually just came out in the Journal of Economic Literature by, by Carl Holmes, uh, which I haven't had a chance to look at yet. Um, but he's writing about um, the economy as a complex system and uh, a model of economic decision makers as being as being boundedly rational. So making information, making decisions with limited information and kind of optimizing. But 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 the system as a whole has some interesting properties when it comes to how people's incentives either are, you know, working in, in tandem or um, in opposition to each other. So this gets to the ecological questions I was raising of like just having having a good, um, having richer concepts to talk about system-wide interactions. So, so, so behavioral economics has come from a very micro foundation and, and there were assumptions of the standard model about people being kind of infinitely rational and um, you know, having perfect willpower that have been, been chip, chipped away at now. Um, but the implications of those at the macro level is it's all still in development. And I think for, um, for thinking about economic systems and certainly the climate interaction, we can think about it as individuals, but it's really a system-wide challenge. So, um, 
So these, so, so thinking about behavioral economics at, at a system level is something that, that these, you know, excites me. I don't know if that was a word yeah. to you. Yeah, no, 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 no. it's something yeah. right, it's super exciting for me as I'm kind of, kind of looking at all of these. Because I think a lot of people who look at economics and see these assumptions, like it almost immediately drives them away before they've even really like looked into it more when they say, like, oh, this, this discipline assumes people are all knowing. That's not true. This discipline, you know, therefore has all these flaws. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see that, that being examined. And there's, there's so much more to talk about with sustainability uh, and economics, but I think we are, are running out of time here. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us. Thanks to everyone listening for listening to all these episodes. I think this one is the, the final one. Um, and a huge shout out to Emma Vandebrick for, for making this all happen. It's, it's been such an exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, and yeah, thank, thank you for everyone. Uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. Bye-bye. Nice.